zone. You can't go. All the plants are gonna die. I'm gonna take a bath. Bad dates. I'll alert the media. Boys, keep off the moors. It's evil. Don't touch it. The name's Pliskin. No more hangers. Welcome to Vintage Video, where we're re-watching the 80s so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in chronological order, overanalyzing what you've seen and spoiling what you haven't. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells. And today we're discussing Cattle Annie and Little Britches, released April 24th, 1981. It was written by David Iyer and Robert Ward, based on a screen story by Ward, based in turn on Ward's own novel of the same name, directed by Lamont Johnson, and released by Universal Pictures. Hayden Christensen was five days old when this film was released. Oh, Little baby Darth. Robert Ward composed the screenplay while teaching at Hobart and William Smith Colleges in Geneva, New York. His agent, Karen Hitzig, shared the script with her husband, producer Rupert Hitzig, who optioned the script for $15,000 and re-upped the option a few times as Ward made several rewrites. At the same time, Ward began work on a novelized version of the story, which he finished in 1975 and was published in 1978. According to Ward, the novel plays looser with the facts than the film does. A draft of the script made its Wait. way to... Yes, the novel is looser. <laughs> because it was more of a... Yeah, it's a true story. Is this a true yeah. story? Yeah. yeah. I did not know that. Yeah, it's a true story. I, I, I just thought I just thought it was based on a book. No. Well, I wasn't sure if it was a true story, because of course it doesn't say that anywhere in the film, but yeah. it's based on actual people. Correct. Okay. Yeah. That, that the, explains so much about the ending, where I was just like, well, this a, is really weird. Or really unsatisfactorily <laughs> what happened to them. <laughs> well, does it bother you when they do that at the end of American Graffiti? You're like, wait, these weren't real people, were they? <laughs> well, I would think you'd want it to be maybe more interesting than these yeah, were, yeah. <laughs> is what he yeah, meant. Yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not like it was like, oh, just, uh, we're going to get into it, but it's like, oh, she lived a rich, full life. It's like, what the hell does that mean? <laughs> I don't know. I wish Harry's War were a true story so that I would care if they were like this person wrote a book about working for the cia this person <laughs> got transferred to another department it's like i don't fucking care what oh, happened to these side a, characters opened a chain of hulkaburgers yeah it's from the end of stripes we haven't gotten there yet a draft of the script made its way to john wayne who was attracted to the role of bill doolin but ultimately passed on account of his frail health wayne did however offer to the production a full-size western set built on his 17,000 acre ranch the production was still in principal photography on his set when Wayne passed away, and a moment of silence was observed. 17,000 acres? It's huge. It's in Mexico. Oh, my God. That's huge. It's a massive ranch, yeah. Did he shoot a bunch of films there? He did. That's cool. Yeah, you probably recognize this set in other movies, actually. Yeah, but that's just like... I, I mean, like, I love the idea of, like, you know, voice actors building a booth in their house and, and John Western Wayne building just have an their entire own. Western town in yeah. his home. He's got his own West World, <laughs> essentially. Yeah. He, he has employees that work all the shops there, so he can just go in and order a whiskey awesome. from a saloon. <laughs> Burt Lancaster suffered a mild heart attack on set, collapsing due to a bile duct blockage. On the way to the hospital, in 105 degree heat, the ambulance broke down. And against the advice of his paramedics, Lancaster got out to push the vehicle the rest of the way what? to the hospital. What? <laughs> I'm sure they still charged him for it, too. <laughs> well, no. If this was in, in Mexico. Mexico yeah. yeah. I mean, does, does Mexico have universal health care? They must. They're like a first world country. 
The producers expected a bidding war upon the film's completion and turned down a distribution offer from a studio during filming, but the finished film was harder for studios to classify, especially in the wake of the Western genre's collapse with the failure of Heaven's Gate. Universal picked it up for domestic distribution, but waited a year before releasing it region by region and eventually scrapped the rest of their wide release, which would have invalidated the pre-sales contracts with HBO and CBS, which were conditional on a full-scale release from a major studio, so Universal made sure to meet the minimum requirements of those contracts. Yeah, I'm not sure who this was marketed to, honestly. Yeah. Western fans. But then you did it wrong. I liked it. Okay. It, it's Spoiler okay. alert. I'm just saying. We start with an original theme song for the story, sung by Son Birdie and Tom Slocum, and it's great. I really love all of the songs in this movie. Yeah. And the, yeah, all the music is great. The whole soundtrack is wonderful. We see a lit torch in the night and Bill Dalton checking his pocket watch. Little Dick Raidler inspects his revolver and spins it a few times. Men munch snacks and sneak sips of whiskey while they wait. We see the lights of an approaching train blowing its horn because it can see a large fire on the tracks. Fortunately, they have enough room to stop. Unfortunately, it's because they're not carrying much. You only got three cars? Don't shoot! It's a small train! Mainly full of... Uh, I, I liked this whole, like, putting the fire on the tracks. It kind of reminded me a lot of uh, the first episode of Briscoe County Jr. Yeah. Where they, where they stopped the train by painting a wily e. coyote-esque landscape on a rock that's on the tracks i also sympathize with these bandits who are trying to talk through their masks first mm-hmm. like oh you only got three cars what and then he has to pull his mask off to say something <laughs> yeah. it's very relevant for today yeah one of the gang shoots the doors off the train before the conductor can tell them what's on board and suddenly a stampede of pigs are disembarking they check another of the three cars which seems to just have two coffins and a pair of girls hiding behind them in cowboy hats. One of the two girls, stowing away on the coffin car, peeks out to see Bill Doolin on horseback, is leading the bandits, hijacking their train. All the passengers of the train are rounded up, and when they learn it's Bill Doolin leading the bandits, everyone is excited, especially the conductor. It reminded me of Long Riders, yeah. when Harry Carey was happy to find himself a victim of the James Younger gang. Yeah. The conductor tells them that there is literally nothing of value on the train, and Bill Doolin believes him, He thinks he's a man of his word. One of their men, Dynamite Dick, is checking the final car. They're not even sure what they found in the last car, but it's heavy, so they take it. One of the gang lassos a pig and reels it up onto his horse for dinner tonight. Bill Doolin apologizes to the conductor for the trouble they've caused, and they head off into the night. The men running the train ask how they're supposed to put the fire out, and they're advised by the gang to piss on it. The young girls are finally noticed by an employee of the train line as stowaways, The conductor has mercy on them and allows them to ride on the passenger car to the next town since they say they're on their way to California. The next day, a camera cranes down into a fully populated western town. It looks a lot like the town from Dirty Dingus McGee last year. And by last year, I mean 1970. We follow a woman with a basket full of laundry down a street to where the two girls have found work. The girls here are played by Amanda Plummer and Diane Lane as the titular Cattle Annie and Little Britches, respectively. Little Britches steps outside to collect boiling water from a tub and brings it into the kitchen. She dumps the boiling water in a sink, and almost immediately, Annie sticks her arms in the water, burning them badly. I've done that. It's not good. Yeah, it's no fun. Little Britches starts pumping cold water over her burns until their boss, Mr. Morgan, walks into the room and accuses them of wasting time and resources. He says he's got a full dining hall 
and nobody's doing dishes in here because they're just washing each other. The dishes are stacked up so high that Little Britches accidentally knocks them over right in front of him here. She is yanked to the floor where she learns that she will pay for every plate that she broke, and as he returns to the dining room, Catalani draws his attention by picking up more of his equipment and smashing it on the floor. Annie reminds him that he owes her money. Mr. Morgan tries to shove Annie along, and Little Britches hurls another plate at him. You're fired! The villains are me, you're fired! No, I ain't you scum-sucking son of a bitch! I have resigned! At the time, this wasn't as dumb because there wasn't unemployment <laughs> insurance that gets invalidated <laughs> if you quit instead of being fired. Although, you can't collect unemployment if you're fired for cause, and I think that yeah. when your employees start throwing plates at you, that's considered cause. <laughs> but they could argue that they withheld pay. Right. He rushes them out the back door, but Annie insists they'll be taking the front portal. I like that she calls it a portal, but it's just a door. It's not glowing or anything. <laughs> when Mr. Morgan moves to throw them out, his cook hands Annie a big butcher knife, which she uses to threaten Mr. Morgan on their way into the dining room. Little Britch's real name is Jenny, so Annie and Jenny move together around the tables of customers on their way out the door. At the table by the front entrance, Annie raises the butcher knife high in the air and elicits screams from the crowd, but then gingerly places the butcher knife down on the surface of the table and throws up her skirt to show her butt to the high society lady that she just threatened to murder. So she's not wearing any Little Britches? Or she is, and mm. it was just enough of an insult to throw your fluffy skirt in the air. Annie tells Jenny that they've been in this town long enough and it's time to continue moving west. First, though, they need to buy some cigarettes so that everyone in town knows they're cool. <laughs> Smoking puppies! They bump into a friend named Elrod, who asks why they aren't working. Annie informs him of their resignation. He doubts the story and assumes they were fired, but offers to use his influence elsewhere to get them a new job, probably in exchange for something. Annie laughs at Elrod for thinking he could ever be useful to them in any capacity. And when Elrod pulls the nice guy reverse Uno card and says, whatever, I'd never date you anyway, Annie pretends to be completely and immediately convinced of his worthiness and sarcastically begs him to marry her. Oh, Elrod. You're such a man. You're loco shit. Marry me. Marry me. Out of all 12 of your children, and you can beat me when you can jump and you can't punch your face. <laughs> You're crazy. Annie is distracted by the approach of a man on horseback. It's Bitter Creek Newcomb, played by John Savage, a member of the Doolin Dalton gang that attempted to rob their train on the way into town. Bitter Creek loops around the square in search of lawmen, probably, and eventually signals to the rest of the gang that it's safe to follow him into town. The townspeople look at them like they're aliens, and a hush takes over the crowd, until Corey, owner of the local mercantile, greets them as friends. They give him a shopping list. The party in the square returns to full swing, Annie continues eyeballing the first gang member to ride through town, and a man walks his young son up to meet Bill Doolin, played here by Burt Lancaster. Bill introduces the kid to his partner, Mr. Dalton, played by Scott Glenn. So, now knowing foolishly that I did not research this enough to know that it was based on a true story, I had a lot of problems with uh, the names of characters. Yeah. It was like, why are there, why is the hero, uh, well, the hero of the, the gang and the villain of the lawmen both named both bill. Named bill yeah and it's like and i thought scott glenn's character was also last name doolin because the way he the, the how fast he sometimes will say dalton is like yeah and he keep and scott glenn keeps talking about his brother right and i was like are they brothers 
Why do these names all sound so familiar? <laughs> well, that's the other thing that's weird is that Doolin is also a word in the Wild West. Yeah. And so when they said the Doolin Dalton gang the first time, I thought it just meant the Dalton gang that duels. Oh, like D-U-E-L. Yeah. Got it. And, and there are also two dicks in their team. Yeah. And I was like, okay, th- th- these names are really frustrating. Well, yeah. and I was also a little concerned about the fact that we had a white guy, John Savage, the last name Savage, playing a character the with sort of Native, Native American, American character. name. Yeah. Yeah. That I was like, at this point, I'm like, I'm not sure if he's supposed to be Native American or not, but, but it seems we get to the bottom taste. of that mystery. <laughs> I'm just concerned. Yeah. Corey returns from his store with big bottles of liquor for the crowd, compliments of Bill Doolin. He's clearly a man of the people, but a good portion of town is still very cold to the gang. Little Dick Radler notices it, too. Hey! Doolin, what's wrong with these people? We used to have friends around here, Corey. Apparently they're used to warmer welcomes, and Corey from the Mercantile tries to explain that the town is expanding, and most of them aren't familiar with the gang. Civilization's coming here, Bill. Be careful it don't get you. Doolin reads off a laundry list of lawmen hot on his tail who will likely kill him before civilization gets around to it, starting with Heck Thomas, who actually killed him, and ending with Bill Tillman, who will be seeing most of the film. Doolin asks Corey if he can trust any of the men in town to work as lookouts, and the shopkeep calls over Elrod and his friends. If this were made today, I can see Jack McBrayer as Elrod. <laughs> That's the energy he's presenting here. You may know your butts from a waterhole? I think so, sir. You think so? Yes, sir. Well, for what I want, I guess you don't have to be too sure. He asks them to stand post at both ends of town and give them a heads up if there's any lawmen inbound. Elrod brags to the girls that he's working for the gang now. They peek through the windows of a shop to spy on the gang doing their shopping. Little Dick Radler notices their faces in the window, and then he sneaks around behind them, grabs them both, and drags them inside. Radler demands a kiss, and Annie threatens to scramble his eggs, by which she means a swift kick in the crotch. Doolin guesses that Jenny is the brains, since Annie got all the brawn, and Annie is fascinated to be speaking with the real Mr. Doolin. He orders them both root beers and candy, but Annie demands two glasses of whatever the boys are drinking. They pour the girls a pair of whiskeys and drink a toast. Annie is able to muscle down her glass to applause from the men, but Jen spits hers up on the floor the second it touches her tongue. I like, I can't remember which one of the gang members, like, is just like, don't worry, honey, it's, 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 it's evil stuff. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. They're forgiving her for spitting it out. Yeah. Annie asks for a smoke and again, they're impressed. Bitter Creek cuts one in half for her. First, just offer a piece to the wind. Annie admits that she's read all about the gang in a series of books written by someone named Ned Budline. Bill is curious how this Budline would come to know so much about the gang without ever introducing himself. Elrod bursts into the place to announce incoming riders and the men scramble for an exit. Before they go, Bitter Creek tells Annie she'd make a good outlaw and hands her a small, smooth stone. She tells Jenny that they should follow the gang away. A pack of lawmen led by U.S. Marshal Bill Tillman roll into town and start bothering the people for any information on the whereabouts of the Doolin Dalton gang. He tries to get the people on his side by reminding them that the gang robs banks of their money. And he assures them that he'll find Doolin with or without their assistance. And this is probably in the days before the uh, insured Right. Bank so when that money goes away, that was your money and it's gone. Which, I mean, just stop giving the bank your money. Keep it. You're getting a little old, aren't you, Bill Tillman? Be running down the best. He may be the best. All the rest are dead. Implying that justice is inevitable. But you can tell old Doolin that old Tillman is coming after him. And I'm going to bury his calloused ass into the dirt. That clear? 
That night, the girls leave together on a single horse to follow the gang. They travel for days, and eventually their horse is in rough shape. It lays down in a field, and Annie holds its head in her lap, crying. I thought it died. Yeah. I was oh, like, yeah, oh, no. well, did they ride this horse to death? It seems like it. it seems like they went two or three days on this thing without yeah. watering it at all. Overhead, vultures circle them, and Annie levels a pistol at them. You're going to want those bullets to kill yourselves in a couple days. <laughs> Jenny asks where she got a gun, and she says she inherited it from her father, a great hero of the Confederate Army, but Jenny knows that her father was a nobody. Both of their parents were nobodies, and I wonder if that wasn't their dads in those coffins on the train card that they stowed away on. Well, then they would have been probably allowed to ride. Maybe. I feel like I get the sense that they've been out and about on their own for quite a while. That's possible. Jenny tries to talk Annie out of joining the gang, but Annie says that she isn't going to work slave wages her whole life. I'd rather burn like a fire. Are you with me? I'm with you, Annie. But I'm hot, tired, and we're out of water. Annie assures her that Doolin will take them into the gang. She asks Jenny if she's ever had sex before and announces her intention to lose her virginity to Bitter Creek. Suddenly, on the horizon, they see Bitter Creek approaching, shirtless on a horse. <laughs> like she just wished it. Well, yeah. it does look uh, like a mirage. Yeah. So, you know, everything's a little glistening. It's very magical. <laughs> it just reminded me of the, it's like, hey, do you want to come over? No, I can't. My parents are dead. And then Bitter Creek <laughs> Annie is ecstatic to see him. He hands her a canteen and advises her to spill some for the earth before taking her drink, and she does. Bitter Creek intends to put their horse out of its misery, but Annie stops him. And instead, they all ride Bitter Creek's horse yeah. and drag the sick horse behind them. They head to a demolished fort that we'll come to know as Rock Fort in the middle of nowhere. Bill Doolin is not happy to see them at first and advises Bitter Creek to return them to town. Bitter Creek ignores the order and instead comments on the shabby state of their gang. Doolin blames Bitter Creek for planning their recent job and robbing a train that was unexpectedly full of sports equipment. <laughs> Doolin is offended, and eventually Annie pipes up, admitting she just got there, but suggesting that they relocate to a prettier hideout for morale's sake. She also turns her eye on Dynamite Dick and advises him to grow his beard or shave, but this in-between shit is gross. <laughs> I feel bad for Riedler, though. It's not bad enough that his name is Little Dick Riedler, but he has to ride around with a guy named Dynamite Dick. <laughs> 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 Sounds like he lost a contest. <laughs> Look, you both can't be Dynamite Dick. <laughs> <laughs> Whip them out. Doolin officially welcomes the girls in and offers his bunk for them to recover in. The next day, Annie and Jenny start digging through the gang's recent spoils. Where'd you get all this stuff? You mean you never heard of the great baseball train robbery? <laughs> Annie asks to play some baseball, but they also stole the rule book for baseball, and they don't have enough players for a proper game. Everyone starts dressing in the professional baseball uniforms that they stole, and I'm suddenly realizing that this scene, for sure, inspired John Turturro's part in Sandler's Netflix movie, The Ridiculous Six, where Turturro plays Abner Doubleday, and he's trying to teach a gang of outlaws the rules of baseball. It looks like Bill has no interest in playing, but Annie yells at him, and we suddenly match cut from him standing in the exact same pose, almost like Barbara Eden had just blinked the uniform onto him. We get a baseball montage of the gang having some fun for the first time in a while. The game ends when one of them whips out a gun and shoots the ball out of the sky. It's This This actually reminded me of Hook when they're... Cause the oh, totally, yeah. The costumes mm. look the same. Uh, they're all old-timey baseball costumes, but then they shoot the ball. Yeah. 
We cut to the men stripping down and jumping into a river. Riedler invites the girls in, and Doolin tells his men to give the women privacy so they can strip down to their undergarments. But... <laughs> yeah. I, I don't understand There's a problem the here with the logic a little bit. It seems that the undergarments are fine to see, but the act of disrobing is the part that needs to be private. <laughs> right. Of course, since the long underwear is white, and they aren't wearing anything underneath, nothing is left to the imagination anyway. Plummer was 23 at the time of production, but Lane is only 15 here. Annie sees Bitter Creek wander off naked behind a waterfall and follows him in. I in this scene, like the way they have it framed, because they're they're not showing his front, and they're kind of like also kind of keeping his butt like kind of off camera. But he's yeah. like squatting behind this waterfall yeah. as she like follows him in, and he's slightly off it's camera. Like he's I'm like pooping in there. A dump behind the waterfall, <laughs> and she's like sneaking in on him. There's always treasure behind the waterfall. <laughs> Oh, God, she's coming up here for sex. Got to pinch it in. Pinch it off. <laughs> oh, God. I'm going to have a stomachache for the next hour. <laughs> Doolin is shoved into the lake by the men, and he rises from the water with a plan. He wants to hit the bank in Empire City, and they all ride together to Empire. They stop at a boarding house, and in the morning, Annie notices the arrival of Tillman and his men. She gasps, waking Bitter Creek, who is quick to pop up and fire a shot at the men, knocking one down. He jumps out the window to run along the balcony and continue firing on them, and Annie watches until a bullet tears through the window right next to her and shards slice up her face. The shootout is in full swing, and eventually Dalton knocks another lawman through a wall with a shotgun blast. Another lawman climbs up over a wall, and Doolin shoots him down, and he collapses practically right on top of Riedler. Yeah, I don't know what the, that lawman's plan was. Yeah, he you're way stood, out in the open. Yeah, but, He could have stood there for a while. It was like one of those, like shooting range games where like the bad guys just pop up and yeah, hold right. for a moment <laughs> but it made as much sense as as bitter creek jumping out the window and running along the balcony it's like no shoot from this window frame for a while buddy you got coverage yeah but i guess he was trying to keep them from shooting at the girl bitter creek is hit but recovers annie runs outside with her pistol and levels it at a marshal but it's so heavy that when the man turns to run she can barely shoot it into the ground and it knocks her flat on her ass she opens a nearby corral to loose a stampede of cattle through the town, kicking up enough dust to form a smokescreen, and the lawmen retreat from the smokescreen. I thought that it, this was going to be for the Duel and Dalton gang to get out, yeah. but the lawmen are like, okay, we're losing this fight. Let's get out of yeah. here. Well, and But one of the marshals just runs right through the cows as they're yeah, yeah, marching. Yeah. I was like, ah, no, don't do it. Yeah, uh, that's a bad idea. Yeah, I... I I'm hoping that that was a stuntman and not just an actor just told to just run through the cows. Just, <laughs> just, do it. just run through the cows. That PA told me to die. Doolin is furious that Tillman found them here again, and I kept expecting them to explain this, but they never really do. My my money was on Corey. I, Corey yeah. kept showing up. I was like, he's he's informing. Right. That, that, that's going to be. I think that's the closest we get to a confirmation. Annie is congratulated for her quick thinking, and Jenny hugs Doolin, happy he's still alive. They notice that their lone casualty in this gunfight was Annie's horse, who has taken a shot in the side and is bleeding out. Dalton offers a hand. Yeah, you ride on out. I'll do what's got to be done. No, I'll do what must be done. She draws her pistol and puts the animal out of its misery, and the gang leaves town. They head back to the demolished baseball fort and continue talking about how suspicious it is that Tillman seems to know their every move. It leads to arguing, and Doolin fires a gun in the air to shut everybody up. Dalton thinks they should wait things out here, and Doolin seems to disagree. Annie reads from her dime store novel to suggest that Doolin is probably right. Well, it says here, but Doolin has 
An ironclad discipline and an almost Oriental-like concentration. What the hell is this? Let me see that. So it was a stereotype back then that Asians were just really good at school already. Yeah. <laughs> I think that was actually the joke in Caveman when the Asian guy was the only one who knew how to speak English. Oh, really? Was that he was just smarter than everyone because he's Asian. Flipping through the book for a moment, Doolin finds it poking fun at his age and his mood is ruined. Tossing the book to the ground, the rest of the men scramble for it to see how they're described. Well, see, yeah, and this is like something where it mentions his brother. Yeah. And I was like, so Scott, I was like, confirmed, Scott Glenn is his brother, but no, he's not. I nope. was like, who's he talking about? Doolin is invigorated by the book, eager to prove Budline wrong with a big job, the biggest yet. Doolin tells them that this won't be a fuck up like their last few jobs. How can you be so sure about that? Well, I'll tell you, Bitter Creek. I got an almost Oriental-like concentration. Annie smiles big to hear him reference the books that she loves. Doolin tells the men that they will all dress in fancy clothes and walk right into the bank like proper citizens. He tells the girls to spread word that they intend to hit a nearby train carrying a large payroll as a distraction for Tillman. He tells everyone what they'll be doing for the big job, and then he turns to the girls and says that they can do the laundry. <laughs> and the ladies. Ah, yes, the ladies. You'll be down at the creek washing and pounding our clothes so it'll be nice and clean for the occasion. We cut to everybody riding horses in fancy clothes. Bitter Creek is leading the way because according to Doolin, he's half animal. Do you guys remember the last time a half animal man was entrusted with leading the way through wilderness? The howling? Yeah. <laughs> the gang wanders into Empire City. I wish to withdraw some money from your bank. Follow it. The teller is tripping over his words trying to explain something to the gang. He demands a sack full of their money, but they literally don't have a bag to give them the money in. He's trying to tell you we don't have any sacks. Every bank has a sack. I swear, we're fresh out. Well, any of you guys bring a sack? Nobody brought a sack. <laughs> He's so sad. I was like, just put, them in, put it in your pockets. Yeah, there's so many answers to this problem. Doolin orders the bank manager to remove his pants to form a makeshift bag from. Riedler snags a nice watch off the stuttering teller, and the gang is on their way. As they exit the bank, they are yet again cornered by Tillman. His men pop out from all corners of town like the finale of Amigos, Amigos, Amigos. I think it'd be funny, though, if they actually did hit the train and all these dudes are sitting here watching this bank yeah. for no reason. <laughs> yeah, they spread the rumor and then they went through with that. <laughs> Goddamn shooting gallery. Easy, George, easy. Tillman gives Doolin explicit instructions on what to do, but George will not submit to Tillman's orders and starts a shootout that quickly puts him down in the street. The gang retreats back into the bank, and they store the girls behind the counter and mourn the loss of George. Bitter Creek starts giving Doolin shit for the job he promised would work out fine. Bitter Creek notices that the man posing as the bank manager is actually a deputy. He notices this because the man still has a star pinned to his chest, like the worst undercover cop in history. He introduces himself as Deputy Roger Caps. Doolin announces that they have Caps hostage, and Tillman says that the people want Doolin hung, which is dumb and no they don't. The gang drags their hostage out into the street at gunpoint, but Tillman refuses to negotiate. Caps begs Tillman to do as they say, and eventually he relents, advising his men to put their guns down. The gang leaves town with their hostage, threatening to kill him if anyone follows, but agreeing to release him safely if they don't. I misheard this next line on my first pass. 
Bill says, you ain't going to shoot that man, Doolin, because he knows that it's not in Doolin's nature to kill innocent people. And I thought that Bill responded, that fucking dynamite will, like they were going <laughs> to blow this guy up, especially when the next line from Dalton is, one wrong move and I'm going to send him home in an envelope. But when I put the subtitles on, I see that he's saying, red buck and dynamite will. You ain't going to kill that man, Bill Doolin. Red buck and dynamite will. Red Buck and Dynamite being other members of his gang. Safely outside of town, Caps is released alive, but has strong words for the group, especially disappointed that they just stole a watch from the teller, who is just a bank employee and has nothing else to his name. Doolin orders Riedler to return it to the deputy before he leaves, and Caps realizes that these men aren't trying to hurt people, just faceless companies. Doolin even throws in 50 bucks from the money they stole to buy a drink for anyone in town who feels inconvenienced by what happened here today. Bitter Creek is frustrated to see their hard-earned money being doled out to a lawman, but Doolin shouts him down, reminding him that they've just lost a good friend and don't need to be at each other's throats all the time. Do you think he could actually spend that 50 bucks? No. No, probably not. He would just take it back to the bank. He has to take it back, right? I mean, he could launder it by just leaving it in his pocket for a long time and then being like, here's $50. Like, I don't (laughs) think they had, like, reputable serial numbers for that kind of stuff back then. Before he leaves, Caps tells Doolin not to return to Rockfort because Tillman knows about it. Presumably that's the demolished building where we've seen them plan their jobs. Mr. Doolin. Yes? Don't go back to Rockfort. They know about it now. Why are you telling me this? I don't know. Probably because he realized that Tillman was very near letting him die in town for the sake of protecting the bank's money. The gang marches through the pouring rain. The camera tracks down to show that the pants that they've tied into a bag have untied themselves and all the money has been falling out for this entire ride. Which I don't think would happen. I think it would all fall out in one piece if it was going to fall out. Even so, I I think that the rain-saturated pants, all that money would just be stuck together inside the pants. That's probably true, yeah. Doolin plans out loud to set Cattle Annie and Little Britches up somewhere where they are less likely to be killed in a hailstorm of bullets. They don't want to leave, but Doolin reaches for the money pants to hand them stacks to survive on when he finds them empty. It's gone. All of it. It's gone! Everyone joins in Bill's laughter at this shitty situation they find themselves in. I would have at least doubled back for a minute <laughs> in case yeah. they fell out recently. Well, of course, I thought they were going to like follow the trail of money and find them. Oh, yeah. But no, it would only lead here now. But instead, they all march forward, embracing the loss. The next day, Doolin is resting on a hillside and Jenny brings him coffee. He asks her for advice, but she's a child and has none. She tells him that the gang's talking about breaking up, but promises to stay with him for the long haul because she loves him. Hopefully like a father. Dalton says that he's going to return to politics. Doolin plans to take a dip in the nearby notoriously rejuvenating hot springs. He hopes out loud that when he returns, they will all be a gang together again. On his way to the springs, he crosses paths with Mr. Corey from the Mercantile. He asks where Doolin is headed this fine day, but he refrains from answering. I can only assume that Corey has been the one spilling the beans to Tillman this whole time. Yeah, that was that was my assumption. Yeah. We see Annie and Bitter Creek out on a ride together, and she asks if he's really an Indian. Turns out he was raised by the Sioux after his family were killed. Oh, there was also another moment where when Tillman was in town, and he says, Corey, let me talk to you for a minute, and pulls him aside. Oh, okay, yeah, that's right. 
They sit together on a hill and perform an old Native American ceremony. Bitter Creek presents her with feathers, and we cut to Doolin in the hot springs. Do you remember the last time we saw an old man bathing in a hot spring? The earthling? That's right. A trio of monks walk up to the spring. (laughs) Thanks, Richard. And after chatting them up, the one in front lifts his hood to reveal that it's Tillman, and they have surrounded him yet again. Doolin asks for a towel, but when he reaches for it, he instead grabs Tillman's arm, yanking him into the water and attempting to get away, but it's no use. We see them riding away with Doolin in a cage. It is a pretty impressive... How far he got? Yeah, like, he goes underneath the water, and they're all, where'd he go? And somehow he came up somewhere else? Yeah, in a different water hole, but there's still too many men around him. We see them riding away with Doolin in a cage. Tillman asks if he's comfortable in there, and he says he is. No hard feelings. It's been a grand chase. In town... Crowds swarm the arrival of Doolin in chains. They take a picture of him outside the jail, which reminded me of our previous film, wherein Omar Mukhtar was photographed in chains on his way to the gallows. The crowd asks why he doesn't smile more like a bunch of problematic boomers. (laughs) The gang learns of Doolin's arrest and make plans to dissolve. Annie alone intends to ride back into town to save him. Jenny is crying about the situation, and Annie calls her a bitch and accuses her of being soft, leading to a wrestling match. When it's over, Annie and Jenny leave together to save Doolin, and the rest of the gang head off to nowhere. When they get to town, the girls attack a paper boy. (laughs) I don't know if they kill him. (laughs) They probably do. We see the gang giving in to their consciences one at a time until they're all headed to town to help the girls. We see Annie dressed as a paper boy, and Jenny is wearing his head as a hat. No, that's not true. They both have their hair tucked into their hats, and they're apparently posing as boys here. They get to the guarded doors of the jail and ask to be let in, insisting that there's a customer in there. Uh, That's one of my pet peeves uh, in films when girls pretend to be boys and people fall for it. Uh, I don't know that they do fall for it here. I, I, I agree. I think in this situation they don't. But there have been so many movies where I was like, what? Yeah. Like it's like, don't you know what the paperboy looks like in this town? You yeah, live that's here, right? Thing. But I I always go back to the movie Pitch Black, um, where there's this oh, yeah. character and like and the big reveal is that she's a girl. I was like, was she not? <laughs> was there ever a doubt that she was? That's funny. Once inside the jail, they ask the jailer if Doolin is here, and he gestures behind two sets of steel doors. He tells them to get out, but Jenny tells him that they can't leave yet. Now you two get your little butts the hell out Look, of my way. see, she's, I mean, he's, he's got a gun that second. We're here to best build one out of jail. Now, how the hell are you going to do that? Well, Annie here's going to pull out this gun of hers, tell you to open those two steel doors or she'll blow your brains out. If you say you don't believe her, she's just crazy enough, she might just blow your brains out. So, Annie, let's get on with this thing, pull the gun out. She does, and the jailer and another guard do everything she says. She keeps her gun on the first jailer, and then switches into full-on honey bunny mode. (laughs) There's no doubt in my mind that this scene inspired Tarantino to cast her in Pulp Fiction. (laughs) This is where she yells that she wants to execute every one of these motherfuckers. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You open those doors now and lead us to Doolin. And if you do well, you'll be here to read something besides your obituary in tomorrow's... Tomorrow's Empire City Herald Examiner. Now commence us bringing a bill, Doolin! (laughs) 
I added that music. That wasn't part of the scene. When the jailer opens Bill's cell, he's laying under a blanket, but then throws it up to reveal that he is actually Bill Tillman. I think Bill Tillman just really loves disguises. Yeah. <laughs> That's I true. Love, I love surprising people. Twice so. in a row he did this. It would have been really funny if they figured it out quickly, though, and they just shot him dead. <laughs> it's just like, all right, now where's Bill? Where's Bill? It's <laughs> another Tarantino reference. Mm. Um, and it turns out he's right over here. He's just standing on the other side of the room. It's not even really a prank. It might as well have been Bill in the jail cell and then Tillman on the other side of the room with a gun on them already. He didn't have to yeah, risk getting I mean, shot in the bed. So if Bill's just there. Why didn't he try to warn him at all? I thought it'd be funny. <laughs> I mean, I guess uh, they kind of half explain it in that when they when they meet Bill, he said that other Bill. <laughs> so yeah. was like, oh, God, That's why I call him Doolin in my notes the whole yeah. time. Uh, said that if it was you two that he would set you up. Right. And, uh, yeah, and... I'll get to all that. Okay. Tillman points a gun at the girls and orders his men to take theirs. Turns out, though, Doolin is here in the jail and the jailers collect him to show him what's left of his gang. The last of the Doolin Dalton gang they come to bust you out. You're really scraping the barrel, ain't you? No. They're two of the best. Now, Bill Tillman here He's a decent man, even though he is on the wrong side of the law. I like that line, that he's on the wrong side of the law because he's a cop. But he promised me that if he ever caught up with you two, he'd see you got a square deal. Ain't that right, Bill? We are my man of my word. Tillman warns the girls not to waste their lives chasing cowboys, and Doolin thanks them for coming. They're the only ones that came. The back of the jail explodes into the room, and in the ensuing chaos, Jenny races between the guards and takes their guns, running out the front door of the jail and firing the weapons into the air to draw attention away from the men escaping out of the back of the jail. Uh, this explosion was just uh, Butch Cassidy like, think you use enough dynamite there, Yeah, <laughs> definitely too much because everyone gets knocked over. But somehow it only knocks the right people unconscious. <laughs> the gang makes a daring escape from town toward Piedro's Pass. They sneak through a narrow canyon with the girls bringing up the rear, but Annie's horse steps in a gopher hole and Jenny runs back for her. Doolin orders his men to blow the pass with dynamite, insisting the girls will be fine. In the explosion, a couple of actors are knocked off their horses, and one guy looks like he got stepped on by his horse here, but oh, I'm not yeah. sure. Like he's like covering his face and yeah. The lawmen can't make it through the pass, and Annie picks a fight with Tillman, who wrestles her to the ground and gives her a spanking, but then hugs her while she cries. We see Doolin standing up on the canyon wall. Hey, you ride, long and hard. Was an we see titles that read, The gang scattered and went in different directions. Cattle Annie and Little Britches served two years in a reformatory in Massachusetts. Annie grew up and led a rich, full life in Kansas City. Jenny went to New York and worked as a domestic and a social worker. Bill Tillman went to Hollywood and became a movie director. Bill Doolin married a minister's daughter and was killed on his way home from church. I wasn't satisfied with this vague description, and it turns out he was killed by one of these lawmen just over a month later. In real life, he was only 38 when he was killed. Oh, oh, wow. He was only 21 years older than Little Britches, but in the film, the actors are 53 years apart. <laughs> Not what? that 21 years is an acceptable age difference between a child and an adult man. What is the year that this is supposed to be taking place? This is very late 1800s. This is before 1900. He didn't have a relationship with Little Bridges. No, but they no. sort of 
referenced something like that. Well, they did? Well, when she says that she loves him, but she doesn't love him. Okay. It seemed like one of them paired up with Bitter Creek Nukem and one of them paired up with Bill Doolin. Okay. I actually really like this movie. I like all the performances. I like the pacing. It wasn't my thing. No. I don't know if I just really wasn't in the mood for this kind of movie, but it just, it didn't do anything for me because I felt like I never really got to know any of these characters. So I really was just not invested in anything that happened to them because I felt like in a movie like Heaven's Gate, I cared a lot about a lot of those characters and they did a lot of development on them and they had stories that I really was invested in. And in this one, I just didn't care about anybody. Yeah. I think little britches is definitely underdeveloped, but I felt like Catalani had like a full arc to her. Like there was more of a story for her. And she was, she was the best part of the movie, but I felt like there needed to be more to it. There just needed to be more to the story and maybe they just held too close to history and it just wasn't that interesting of a story to yeah, me. Yeah, that's but, possible. Um, you know, like as You want to see the the novel adapted faithfully. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm just saying like as 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 westerns go, I think you needed to go more over the top with sure. it. Um, to get me to sort of in, invest in it. So it needed to be like either just like, you know, really crazy showdowns and action scenes and all this stuff. Um, or you really had to, you know, like get some more backstory in these characters and develop them a little bit more. So I cared. Yeah, that makes sense. I just feel like I hadn't seen this Catalani type character in a Western since like basically True Grit, like the girl from True Grit, who just right. has so much attitude and she's willing yeah. to like fight with everybody. Yeah, but I, I love True Grit. I, I, I like both of them. And but i think that you get more about the characters you get because there's only two of them you get more history yeah you know and so you and and you get more of a connection between rooster and her i cared about their relationship to each other whereas here i'm just kind of like a puppy dog following Doolin around and i don't feel like they connected well we never really know what the relationship is between these two young girls um in, in that they're they're traveling together and that's literally all we know yep they're not sisters uh they're just two people who happened upon each other we can only imagine because right. we we're never told and it's never made clear in the movie because she didn't even seem to know anything about her father right uh, that is to say jenny didn't know anything about Annie's annie's father so it almost seemed like they just met um well i mean they knew enough to know neither of our parents is around anymore yeah and uh, she keep like I left it out, but Annie keeps making up jobs that her dad has to impress people or to change mm-hmm. her backstory. And she's like, "No, your parents are dead. My parents are dead. Our parents are dead." And and just kind of echoing what Jesse said about the, I I liked what they did with Burt Lancaster. I think that his character probably seemed the most developed. Yeah, cause, probably because he was the one I had the most understanding of his point of view, uh, as far as like the aged criminal who's running out of places to rob because things are getting more difficult for criminals. And he cares about yeah. his legend. Mm-hmm. But, but I, Dalton I like is just gruff. That's it. Yeah. I would have preferred like a turn for him to have him be yeah. like grumpier and more gruff and more grizzled and sort of like at the end of his rope uh, in general, like before the girls show up and then have that change of heart because they've taught him something about life. I don't know. It's just... I feel like, and I guess that's more like the true grit story, but 
I just didn't feel like there was a lot of arc to any of these characters. I felt like the gang overall had an arc in that they started out like wanting to kill each other like they were on the verge of breaking up originally and the girls were basically like fresh blood for them and powered them through to a few yeah. more gigs before I mean, ev- everybody fell out again. It, it, it And they do. They're the part that convinced them back to getting Bill out of jail, but... And they remind them that they're, like, notorious outlaws and that that's a cool thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It just wasn't... It just wasn't enough. Uh, it, it To me, it was... is It it didn't amount to anything because it was just prolonging the inevitable. Right. Uh, and, and that's disappointing uh, uh, from, from a fan. But it's also not called the Duel and Dalton gang. It's called Catalani and Little Britches because right. it's about them. It's supposed yeah. to be about their adventure. Right. But 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 we only we only get to know them for a couple of days, and then we get this little tacked on that they live. She lived a quote unquote full life. Yeah. I was like, what does that mean? It she- means that her Wikipedia page is a stub, and if you'd like to add to this entry, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I was like. I was like, I, I can't, why, why, did she seek out Bitter Creek? I mean, like, did, what what happened? Like, I mean, I think this movie literally represents like a couple months of their life. So it's this, everything isn't Wonder Woman where you just chase after the people you met during your first movie for yeah. the rest of your life. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, I didn't dis. I'm, I, I'm kind of coming down hard on it, but I, I didn't dislike it. I, I, I was pretty invested in what was going on. Um, but like at the same time like when when they start killing people uh i was just like oh are these like killing the lawmen that are after them yeah Yeah, i was like are these not good guys like i mean like not the kind of outlaws that i do want to root for like well i do think that they make a point to show that bill tillman literally all he cares about is protecting corporations money and he's trying to sell the people in town like hey aren't you upset he's taking money from a bank and Mm -hmm. it's like no we don't care about the banks that's not that's not us that's a company and and bill tillman's willing to kill people over money being taken away and they're only killing people in self-defense when they're trying to kill people so overall i think i'm still gonna give it a thumbs up though like i i wanted more but it was well shot it was well acted um it was a lot better than i was expecting it to be actually because i was going into this like this is the movie i've never heard of it's gonna be terrible like every other movie i've never heard of in this row of movies that have just been killing my soul (laughs) uh but it was all right (laughs) i i just think amanda Plummer is incredible yes she's great and i can absolutely see why somebody would look at this performance and want to cast her again right yeah yeah agreed uh it's a it's a thumbs up for me um I uh I can't think of too many people I would recommend this movie to even western fans. Um it, it, again because it, it seems like I don't know who the target audience was. Like it, it seems like it, it's that trying, was Universal's problem. Yeah, I, I feel like it, it's got a blending of young and old, which is fine because obviously that worked for True Grit. Right. Um but uh like with with when it starts getting into like these relationships and I was like oh how old is she supposed to be yeah 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 um and and like uh you know and like so when they when they killed a couple of people and one of the gang dies it's like I was like uh, that was the other problem is that the George guy that gets killed there in the in the street he basically is introduced with his previous line saying oh it's like a it's like a shooting gallery out here and he's like easy George easy and that's the first time I heard anybody say George yeah and then he dies. And the same thing for um, 
like dynamite dick like i don't even remember what his face looked like like does he say anything like he literally like he reacts to her saying that he should shave but i don't think he says anything in that scene yeah i mean so a lot of the gang doesn't get anything to do it's basically just bitter creek and duelin and then scott glenn's character just like always angry looking around yeah and riedler's fun though but yeah um what are we thinking letterboxd uh so i'm gonna put it at number 26 out of 46 okay so kind of in the middle uh it is below the fun house but above fort apache the bronx richer Uh, i have it at uh 16 okay uh so this puts it below caveman and above wind walker i have it in 13 out of 46 um and that is right below cabo blanco and just above the other burt lancaster film atlantic city our director here was Lamont Johnson. Uh, he has mostly television work that I didn't recognize, but he did win an Emmy for directing a Lincoln miniseries starring Sam Waterston. As Lincoln? Yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> Writer David Iyer, uh, he wrote the screenplay for this, Wolfen, and a TV movie called Wait Till Your Mother Gets Home. Well, Wolfen is another uh, Rupert Hitzig. Right, and we'll get that later this year. Writer, screen, story writer, and novelist Robert Ward, this was his first screenplay credit, and the first of his novels to be adapted, he followed it up as a writer for television on Hill Street Blues and Miami Vice. The music here was from Tom Slocum. His credit in this film for writing and performing the Dalton Gang ride entrance earned him a soundtrack credit in Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which reuses the song. So another Tarantino reference. Cinematographer Larry Pizer, uh, mostly docs until the mid-70s when he lensed Phantom of the Menace for Brian De Palma. But this and that were the only credits I recognized from his work. Scott Glenn was Bill Dalton. He was Bart Mancuso in Hunt for Red October. John Adcox in Backdraft. He's the David Carradine-style wise man character in Sucker Punch. He's Jack Crawford in Silence of the Lambs. He's also in the first season of Castle Rock, which was that Hulu Stephen King show. I don't know if that's still on the air. He's Stick in Daredevil slash The Defenders. And we had him last year in Urban Cowboy. Yeah, his character in The Defenders is very much like his character in Sucker Punch, so. Yeah. Redmond Gleason played Red Buck. He was Duffy in The Octagon last year. William Russ was Little Dick Raidler. He's the dad on Boy Meets World and the granddad on Girl Meets World because they're connected. We saw him last year in Cruising. Kenny Call played George Waitman. He was Donnie Bob in Starman. He's the deputy sheriff in Near Dark. And he's Grievy in Cowboys and Aliens which is the same universe as this film. Yeah, it must be. <laughs> John Savage played Bitter Creek Newcomb. He's in Hair. He's in The Thin Red Line, Deer Hunter, and we had him last year in Inside Moves as the crooked guy that jumped out of a building. Buck Taylor played Dynamite Dick. He's Wes Claiborne in Cowboys and Aliens. He's Turkey Creek Jack Johnson in Tombstone. He's back later this season as Robert Edward Gatlin of the Cavendish gang in The Legend of the Lone Ranger. Michael Conrad was engineer, probably of a train, maybe that first train. Yeah, I think, I think that, yeah, that's exactly who. He's Lieutenant McCavan or McAvan on Del Vecchio and Phil Esterhouse on Hill Street Blues. Amanda Plummer was Annie. This was her first movie, and we'll see her next in The World According to Garp. She was Lydia in The Fisher King. She's Honey Bunny in Pulp Fiction. She's Rose in So I Married an Axe Murderer. 
from which we just lost Charles Grodin three days ago as we're recording this. Her father was Christopher Plummer. Amazingly, at the time of this film's release, the real cattle Annie had been dead less than three years, passing away in 1978 at the age of 95. I feel like every time we've ever discussed Amanda Plummer, I rediscover that Christopher Plummer is her dad. Yeah, I think we, we <laughs> like brought just, it up for the first time the last the yeah, last time we had and, Christopher Plummer. And then Plummer. I looked it up again this time, and I'm like, what? He's her dad. I'm like, I just can't yeah. remember these things. But, but I see it now in the eyes. I was yeah. looking for it this time. Mm. I just never, I, I think because I knew who she was, I knew who they both were for so long and never associated them with each other yeah. that I cannot get it in my head that they're related. Diane Lane played Jenny, a.k.a. Little Britches. We saw her last in Touched by Love. She's in Judge Dredd, The Perfect Storm, Under the Tuscan Sun, and Man of Steel. Burt Lancaster was Bill Doolin. He's in From Here to Eternity and Gunfight at the OK Corral, and we just had him in Atlantic City. Chad Hastings played another conductor. Maybe that's the one from the first train. Who knows? He played Gray in The Bees, the bees. which we did not watch recently. We watched The Swarm. Oh, we still have like 20 minutes left of The Swarm, don't we? Oh, we do. We'll have to, we have to finish it. Finish How does it off. end? <laughs> Who knows? I'm sure it's not anticlimactic at all. <laughs> John Quaid played Morgan. He plays a Comanchero leader in the Outlaw Josie Wales, and he was Cholo in Every Which Way and Any Which Way. That's the leader of the bad guys. Yeah, I was going to say, he's had to be the leader of the biker Yeah, guy. he's so funny in that. My men, you made out of shit. Perry Lang played Elrod. So far we've seen him in The Hearse, The Big Red One, and The Alligator. And I think this is the first time he survived the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, his more recent credits are mostly for directing television um, and one feature film called Interview with God or something like that. Is that the Kevin Sorbo one? No, no but it's probably the same production vein. company. Yeah. Uh, Rod Steiger played Tillman. The real life person he plays had two titles on IMDb, a short called The Bank Robbery and something called The Passing of the Oklahoma Outlaws of Unknown Duration. In both films, he plays himself. In 1999, TNT released a TV movie called You Know My Name with the Tillman character as the protagonist, played by Sam Elliott. It's set in 1924 while he's directing The Passing of the Oklahoma Outlaws, and he takes a job as a small-town sheriff to raise the money to finish the film. We just had Rod Steiger in our previous film as Mussolini. He's Bill Tillman and Mussolini. Uh, okay. Mussolini in the big map room with the bald head. Okay. And he's playing the little white-haired cop in this oh i never would have uh because they don't he doesn't look like the same person no not at all also i i didn't bring this up in the lion of the desert but like everybody had an italian accent except that main guy and i really <laughs> oh, Mar Mukhtar. yeah yeah anthony quinn Oh, no, no, no. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> why Why doesn't this better one have an Italian name? <laughs> no. The, 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 um, Oliver, Reed's Oliver Reed's character. I can't oh, remember yeah. his name. Uh, Quasimodo. What was his name? Uh, Quasimodo. Gu that's Garzini. Graziani. Graziani. Okay. <laughs> he didn't have an Italian accent, but everybody else did. And I, so I thought they were all Italians. So I mean, they were all Italians. Even Omar Mukhtar. Whoa. Them's fighting words. <laughs> I just meant technically they were played by Italians, <laughs> right? Yeah, but this guy's nope, not Italian. No, he's not. He's an American. He plays mostly Southern sheriff type characters. <laughs> Stephen Ford played Deputy Marshall. Uh, he's back later this year as a Secret Service agent in Escape from New York. Coincidentally, he is the son of former President Gerald Ford. 
Stephen Ford. He's the son of Gerald Ford, and he plays a Secret Service agent in Escape from New York, where they're trying to rescue the president. It's neat. Oh, good. Mike Moroff played another deputy. He's Mexican Ed in La Bamba, and he's a hophead in RoboCop. Roger Cudney played Caps. He's Wavecrest Captain in License to Kill, and he's Captain Young in Remo Williams. Jerry Gatlin played a cop. He was Bubba in Ruckus and the stockyard owner in Coast to Coast last year. Those are all the credits I had for this one. I think that's everything for Catalani and Little Britches. If you guys have any thoughts you'd like to share, we are Vintage Video Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Whereas I said before, you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year. We can also be found at VintageVideoPodcast.com. We have a Discord now. Join the 24-7 movie chat and share your thoughts on episodes past, present, and future at VintageVideoPodcast.com slash Discord. And if you're listening on YouTube, don't forget to subscribe. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time when we'll be discussing The Hand, which IMDb describes like so. A comic book artist loses his hand, which in turn takes on a murderous life of its own. We leave you now with the trailer. For the hand. You think I've done something wrong, don't you? Mm-hmm. Terror he could not forget. You think there's something in there, don't you? Torment he could not bear. You want to see? Truth. He would not face. Hey! Take a look! Orion Pictures presents Michael Caine in The Hand. You don't want me to go to New York with you, do you? I'm not talking about a separation or anything permanent or anything like that. I thought you understood that. I thought that was why you said well, that. Well, we obviously do not understand each other. <laughs> Like we're still there. My fingers. I've been moving. You'll have phantom feelings for years. Heat, irritation, pain. Your memory is still feeding familiar sensations of having a hand along your nerve endings. What have you been doing during these blackouts? Misplacing things. I'd be scared if I were you. Did you see my signet ring? No. Are you all right? Oh, yes. You never know what you can do. The unconscious is capable of anything. You could do anything you ever dreamed of and never had the guts to do. Hi. I like the way you look at me. Blackouts are nothing to fool with. You could kill somebody. Ah! It's all up there. And you'll never know. Know what? Who you are. <laughs> Don't be afraid of the pain. Hey! Tell him what you're feeling. You're trying to kill me, aren't you? Sense it, feel it, touch it. You want to destroy me? What is your image? A man trapped in a nightmare, locked in the grasp of land. Hello, John. John? John? What's the matter? Why are you looking at me like that? There's no hand. Michael Caine in The Hand.